You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to look at the last few games for the Jets. It seems like they're getting on a roll. We're going to talk about the coaching carousel in the NHL, and we're going to look at the skills competition last night. So first off, before we start the podcast, Kyle, I think we got to give a salute to the Bombers. How about the Grey Cup on Sunday? Yeah, that's phenomenal. I'm sure we have a plenty of fan overlap between the Jets and Bombers. Um, and the city is essentially blue and gold all day today. Uh, the parade going on this afternoon is just a great atmosphere. And my goodness, what a game to watch on TV. It was, it was sure fun. And it's been fun watching the Jets lately, too. And just with the way... The Bombers weren't the best team going into the playoffs that had some injuries, that had some troubles, and then all of a sudden everything just clicked and went right. And that's just a prime example of what we've seen in the NHL playoffs over the years, where even last year against Saint L- with St. Louis, they had some injury issues, they had some problems during the year, they came in a little bit lower ranked, but then things came together when it mattered, everything clicked, and they won a championship. And it just goes to show that the best team doesn't always win the championship, And literally, once you get to the playoffs, anybody's got a chance if things can start going your right way. And I think maybe it gives the Jets fans a little bit of promise seeing that, or do you take no parallels between the two? I I would say there definitely is something to take from it. I mean, especially just ending the drought, the atmosphere in Winnipeg is is just different, it seems. Um, And definitely can give the Jets hope that, I mean, they haven't won a championship in forever. I mean, never winning the Stanley Cup, just winning the Avco Cup. Uh, way back in the day, so maybe some some solace there too. That after however many years, it's still possible. It doesn't really matter how long. Um, anything's possible if you get into the playoffs. Is essentially the the lesson that can be learned. It's been really fun as a sports fan, just cheering for my teams like the Raptors winning, now the Bombers winning. It's like I feel like I'm kind of on a roll right now, and I, I'm not the only one. No, exactly. I mean, it's a great time to be, I mean, a Winnipeg sports fan now, um, but a Canadian sports fan in general. I mean, we've seen some really big moments um, this year, and I think maybe um, as we get later into December, we're going to touch on some just sports highlights during the year, but there have been some really good moments for Canada in uh, 2019. All right, so let's look at the Winnipeg Jets. It's been a while. We missed the podcast last week. My schedule, your schedule, both getting really busy ramping up to Christmas with all sorts of stuff going on. And I know a lot of people in the same boat, maybe not being able to watch as many Jets games as they'd like with gatherings and work parties and functions and stuff to do with your kids. It's a very busy time of year. And so since our last podcast, the Jets have played five games. They beat the Panthers 4-3 on November 14th. They beat the Lightning 4-3, the Predators 2-1, they lost to the Stars 5-3, then they came back and beat the Blue Jackets this last Saturday 4-3. When you take a look at this last little stretch, and I'd like to go back even further, the Jets are 8-2-1 over their last 11 games. Things seem to be going right for them, and this is a lot of it without Brian Little and a lot of the big guys out of the lineup, or some of the big guys out of the lineup, Dustin Bufflin's, where who knows when he's going to suit up or if he's going to suit up again for the Winnipeg Jets, and so... They seem to be getting it done. What do you attribute this to? Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a lot of little things that go into this. And the thing that um, maybe boggles my mind the most is just the, the number of one-goal games that the Winnipeg Jets are winning. If you look at the past box scores, uh, pretty much every score you, you listed there, the Jets are winning by only one. And, I mean, that's all you need, right? It's enough to get it done. Uh, the only concern is that if... Um, things go against you, those one-goal games can turn into tie games pretty quickly. Uh, The Winnipeg Jets by no means blowing anybody out of the water, but they're squeaking by, and they've been on the right side. 
The nice part is goaltending has been playing well, and that can really change the difference between a win and a loss, and that is huge. Even Brossois in the last couple of games has started to look a little bit better for earlier this year. I think there's still hope that you look at the top three lines for the Jets, and we talked about it on the last show. They look really good with Wheeler in the middle, and then Kopp, Lowry, and Perot still liking those forward lines. But then it's just that fourth line that if you can get some help on that fourth line, the Jets can be really solid up front. Yeah, and one of the things is uh, looking at some of the advanced stats um, since Wheeler took over at center ice, that second line has been absolutely dominant in terms of Corsi expected goals, uh, essentially any metric you want. The third line also being pretty solid. First line is okay as well, and depending on the game, small sample sizes, we know that. Uh, but the real issue, like you mentioned, the fourth line is continually get, getting beat up. Uh, there are some games where they don't even generate a shot on net, um, but have plenty against and limited chances. I would love to see Brian Little um, if or when he comes back um, to slot into that fourth line and maybe help um, bolster it a little bit. And remember, there's uh, there's Appleton to come back. There's uh, Bork to come back as well. So there's definitely some reinforcements coming for that um, fourth line that could definitely help uh, the depth. And so now for defense, I feel a little bit more confident in it with Beaulieu and Spiza back there compared to Batetto and Dahlstrom and some of the other guys that we've had. I still want Nico in the lineup, and I definitely understand why people are pining away for him on social media. He definitely needs to be up with the big club, but right now the six that they have, I've been fairly pleased with what we've seen so far. I feel like they're starting to come together. Maybe it's overall team defense. What are you seeing? Yeah, I think the big issue uh, near the start of the season is just those defensive lapses where they would play good for 55 minutes of the game and that other five minutes was terrible and that's when they would get scored on. And, and we saw that uh, specifically in, in that Colorado Avalanche loss, one of their only two losses uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they played really good defense until they didn't. And then they just gave up a Nathan McKinnon goal. And it happened multiple times. I mean, McKinnon's a phenomenal player. But it's just those little lapses, uh, um, a missed um, read, a bad stick check, and the pucks in the back of your net. It's just the, the being vigilant for a full 60 minutes. And I think that's what we're starting to see. Those lapses are happening fewer and fewer. And, and anything that does happen, Connor Hellebuck's been sensational to, uh, to keep it all uh, out of the net. I heard an interesting stat this last weekend that the Jets have actually allowed fewer goals this season at this point than they did last year. Can you corroborate that stat? Yeah, I mean, so you would you would assume that they're playing better defense by that, and and I would agree to to some extent. Um, I would also say Hellebuck's been way way better this year than he was last year. I, I, that's probably the biggest difference for me uh, in, in terms of Hellebuck's performance. When you look at the advanced stats, some guys have models which are goals saved above average. They look at whether where the shots are coming from, and they give you what an average goalie would expect to save. Uh, Hellebuck, I think, has saved roughly seven or eight goals more than what an average netminder would. Seven or eight goals is a huge difference in, in, in an NHL game, right? That's probably two or three wins um, that Hellebuck has added to the team just because of his performance this season. Yeah, because you take a look at most of those games being one-goal games, and then that's the difference between quite a few losses or wins. And so, obviously, he's been a big part of it, and so the Jets obviously going to need to keep this rolling. They head out on another West Coast trip right away in San Jose tomorrow, taking on the Ducks Friday, and then the Kings again on Saturday before they're finally back at home. But then again, it's right out on the road against Dallas, kind of back and forth on the road at home, kind of through the
the first part of December. And so it was nice when they went out on that four-game road trip, winning three out of the four. You always want to go at least 500 on the road. That's kind of the general rule. And then you're wanting to play better while you're at home. And it's just nice seeing the Jets win again. And kind of, it feels like they're starting to get some momentum. I know it's, it hasn't been more than maybe three or four wins in a row. But even though it is only two or three in a row, that's how you build up a good record by going two or three wins and then loss, another three and loss. I think the Jets, if they can keep doing this, I I feel pretty conf- I'm starting to feel more confident than I was maybe a month ago. Yeah, I totally agree, and, it, and it's the manner, like, it, the the way they're playing those games, it feels as if they always give themselves a chance, and, and for me, that's the biggest thing, as long as you give yourself a chance to win, even that Dallas game that they lost, they went down 3 nothing. they fought back and tied the game at one point, they gave themselves a chance to earn those two points, they didn't get it done in that game, but at least the possibility was there. And, and we saw that against Columbus as well, giving up multiple three power play goals, all the goals given up on um, Columbus's power play, but they found ways to score goals, tie the game, get the game one or two minutes left. They're just, they're finding ways to win and they're keeping themselves in the game. And to me, that's a very important part going forward. Well, that's what their motto is, right? Stay in the fight. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's a great motto going forward. And I think it does kind of embody this team and what they're trying to represent. They realize things aren't going to be easy this year. And they've said it in the interviews. We're not winning games as easily as we did last year. We have to fight for every inch. And I think, I mean, that's, that's a perfect motto for the season. And I think that makes better teams come playoff time where you realize that, you're going to have to fight every night. Is that maybe part of the reason Tampa Bay lost in the first round last year? I don't know. Blowing out teams all year and then maybe feeling that you should have it a little bit easier in the first round. There's something to be said about the underdog mentality, whether they're, whether it's there or whether you just create it in yourself. And we've seen that with Tom Brady, and he's a great example of this, where Tom Brady is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Nobody's going to doubt that. And yeah, you might have a few people and some of the analysts say stuff like, oh, maybe Brady's going to be on the decline. But he takes that, he uses that, and he fuels himself with that kind of critique. He puts himself as the underdog, whether he is or he isn't. His team keeps winning. But I think that's good sometimes, too, for NHL clubs to have that mentality of, we are the underdog, why not us? We've seen teams go on runs, kind of those kind of mantras. I like that for the Winnipeg Jets. I think it's... And because we saw it after the year, they went all the way to the Western Conference Final. The next year, where there was all that expectation, they struggled under that expectation. This year, less expectation. Who knows? There's definitely room for improvement. Whether there's going to be more reinforcements coming or not, how the Winnipeg Jets deploy their lineup, maybe still could see some improvements. And I think we're going to kind of get to that in our next segment. So in some of the biggest news in the NHL this season, Mike Babcock has been fired by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maybe a little bit of old news now, uh, news coming out last week of the firing, but still a huge change in the NHL being the highest paid coach. Uh, just such a, everybody knows who he is playing or uh, coaching for the Maple Leafs. Just really interesting that the, the Leafs chose to fire him and uh, go with the AHL coach. Well, Sheldon Keefe, he is really, you read his story in the uh, Bob McKenzie book, right? Do you remember that? I do not. Which book? Uh, Bob McKenzie's book, uh, Hockey Confidential. I'm pretty sure one of the chapters is on Sheldon Keefe. And it talks about his story of starting coaching in junior A, and then he's kind of moving up the ranks. And they kind of shared his story. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, he was abused by one of his coaches growing up? To be honest, I read the book, but I'm not recalling this story. 
Well, either way, uh, I just kind of shared his story growing up and now taking over as a coach. And Bob just talked about his promise as a coach. And that's where I first learned about Sheldon O'Keefe. And and then now we see he's kind of just made his way up the ranks. He made it to the AHL. He did well with the Marlies. And now coming up, uh, taking over as a head coach in the NHL. Uh, a little bit of a younger guy. I think the Leafs have hope that he could be their coach. I don't think they feel like they need to keep looking whether he's going to be interim or whether he's going to be replaced at the end of the season. Have they signed him to a longer contract? Yeah, I think right now he, he's still um... – well, I think they signed him to a couple years. I think it's – so there's interesting stipulations going from AHL to NHL. I believe he had a couple years left on his contract. Um, regardless, the, the thing I heard was that his contract going to be up actually before Babcock's was going to be up. Just an interesting little quirk because Bob Babcock was signed for so long into the future. So he's still signed for three or four years at his price, uh, and Keith is a little bit less. Um, so just an interesting little quirk in that regard. Yeah, so just looking it up here, it was, in fact, in Bob McKenzie's book, uh, Hockey Confidential, so that is where I did hear that. Uh, And so now, for the Maple Leafs, though, firing Babcock, this is a coach that so many heralded as one of the best coaches in hockey, and I remember when he was a free agent, everybody wanted him, and now, has the times passed him by? Is he going to be able to find another job? I'm sure he's going to get another chance somewhere if he wants, but how do you see maybe his style and some of the things that have kind of come out afterwards? Well, this is interesting. The big news coming out of it um, afterwards is, is some of the stories um, shared about his, his past. And, and there's a lot of players um, who did not like playing for uh, Babcock at all, thought he was a terrible coach and didn't treat his players with respect and, and dignity and that sort of thing. And the interesting report coming out was that uh, a few years ago, he got one of the least rookies, uh, later finding out it was Mitch Marner, to rank each individual Leafs player in how much effort they give. And he had to just rank essentially the players who give the most effort, the players who try the least, and he had to rank every single one. Um, Afterwards, Babcock reportedly shared that list with the players at the bottom of the list saying, hey, we have rookies on the team thinking you don't work, work very hard. And he used it kind of as this negotiation tactic. And I mean, not a great move by Babcock, just... Um, calling out, making rookies call out players. Just a weird kind of situation going on. Um, I wouldn't recommend it at all, and just kind of a a weird turn of events. Luckily, Marner, in his interview, said uh, most of the guys near the bottom of the list that he had ranked um, were were really good about it. But just how how would that look for a team dynamic if you were on a team seeing other players ranking each other that's just not a good look at all, in my opinion. No, it's not. And when you look at that list, and might, I think a list like that could be beneficial in the sense that if you got everybody on the team to fill out the list, and then the coach would then say, look, 90% of the team feels that you haven't been pulling up your socks. It's not just me thinking you're lazy. It's your teammates that's like to me that's different what do you think about that because if your team is struggling and let's even take the Calgary Flames right now because we're gonna get to them in a moment a team that's struggling a team that has the players has the ability but just isn't getting it done let's say laziness is a problem on that team and there's only a couple of guys who are working hard the coach takes a poll of the entire room gets everybody's opinions and then has those numbers and say look 
based on all these rankings, your guys' names keep coming up as the bottom five on the team. You're supposed to be one of our better players, whoever this is. I'm not using this as an example, but just kind of as an illustration. But then maybe I could see some benefit and some merit to that. If a guy sometimes needs a kick in the pants, and then now it's not just the coach saying it, it's his teammates saying it in an anonymous format. That's the only way I could see this beneficial. But as soon as you pit one player against another, I think that's where you have problems. Yeah, I totally agree, and, and that's a totally different story when you're when you're taking team um, polls and stats. And I mean, that's totally different than telling one rookie to to rank everybody and then sharing that one ranking with those guys. That totally different story. And I mean, luckily, nothing bad really came of it because. I mean, you never know what's going to happen with with egos and personalities and and how that's going to work, um, and especially the, the development of a, of a guy like Barner being a young kid coming in there uh, as a 19, 20 year old. So just really interesting, um, just things that you don't hear about until after the fact. Um, definitely interesting uh, to talk about now. And so now, when you look at that though, has this kind of passed Babcock by? Uh, did he? I'm not sure if I heard or not. He acknowledged that that wasn't the greatest move in hindsight, that it didn't really work. Yeah, pretty much. And so now, is this a sign that maybe the times have kind of passed him by? Like, he, certain coaches kind of get the reputation as being hard coaches to play for. They're tough on players, but they often get results. And so sometimes there needs to be a balance between being tough and being gentle with a player. There needs to be that balance to be able to get them to do uh, what you want and get them to play their best. And so are we just seeing that the players in the NHL are just different now and they need a different style of coaching and some players respond to it, some don't. It only works for a short period of time and then that window's gone. Like we see John Tortorella, he comes in, his fiery personality works for a while, but then they tune him out or people get callous to it. What do you think on that? Well, I think I think times are just changing in the NHL, and I mean, I think the NHL is very slow to change compared to a lot of other sports. But you can no longer just coach people by screaming at them; it, it just doesn't work. And, and there were reports of when, when Don Sherry um, was talking, and there was reports of former players that played for him when he was a coach, and how he would just scream at his players uh, to 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 do things on the ice and, and how so many guys just hated it. And, and that was back way, way long ago, 30, 40 years ago. There were guys that hated it back then. I think it's even more so now. That style of coaching doesn't get through to a lot of people. And, and I, I would argue it probably didn't back then, but people just didn't really say anything. I think now you, it's so difficult because you're coaching a team of 25 players that all react to criticism differently. You need to be softer on some guys. You need to be tougher on some other guys. Each person reacts to a different style of coaching. And, and I've heard Paul Maurice say in interviews, some of the younger guys on the team, you, you have to coach a certain way. Some guys like to um, get a little bit of a, a gruff, rough yell at them, and that's how they respond. Some guys don't, and Blake Wheeler said the same way. He said, when he came into the league, people would just yell at you and you had to had to get it done. He said some guys don't respond to that anymore. It's just not how it works. I think it's that fundamental shift in that culture in the NHL, and I think that shift is well behind other sports in that shift, but I think it's definitely trending that way in the NHL. And so now you see this trend, and where would you put Maurice? I think obviously the recognition by Maurice. and I, Maurice, to me, seems like a 
well-thought-out coach, or at least he communicates it fairly well compared to other coaches who maybe don't necessarily explain it in the same kind of way. But where do you put him on that pendulum? I, To me, he seems like he's kind of balanced in that regard. Like, I feel like he would chew out some of his players, but he also is fairly understanding on the other side of things. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, we, we heard him call out Jack Roslevic a couple of weeks ago saying, honestly, he played a terrible game, but he scored and he made up for it. And, and just calling out a player, yes, Jack Roslevic's a young player, uh, but the way he the way he did it, um, especially after Roslevic scored a really important goal in that game, uh, it, to me that was more beneficial. It was, it was not yelling at a guy for being not playing well. It was just the way he did it, that understanding of who Roslevic is, how he responds to criticism, how he responds to different critiques, that sort of thing. Um, I think Maurice gets it, uh, to be honest. It, it seems like he can be hard on players when he needs to be. He's critical of players when he needs to be. But it doesn't seem like he's so out of touch that he doesn't understand uh, how to communicate with other players as well. Well, there's been a lot of criticism of Maurice, and you can find it pretty much anywhere on social media. People hating on his uh, style of coaching, hating on his lineup changes, uh, the guys he puts in or doesn't put in, the ice time he gives them, the spots in the lineup that he does or does not give them. And Sammy Niku has been one of the big conversation pieces this year, uh, splitting up Wheeler and Shifley. That finally happened. Now we're seeing some positive results the the frustrating thing is, and I get frustrated with this too. As a fan, you want instant results. You want you you think of something, you dream up something that oh this might work. Not knowing the players, not knowing the personalities, and just say yes. Why isn't Maurice doing this now? We need to do this now. When maybe he's looking at something else or he's running it in a different way. If Babcock was to be hired by the Winnipeg Jets, and I'm not saying do it. I'm definitely not right now in where they are this season on the fire Maurice camp. I'm not. But if the Maurice was to go, let's say things start going the opposite direction of we want, what would your thoughts be if the Jets hired Babcock? I mean, I don't I don't really want him at this point. I think he's overrated. Um, he didn't really get the results in Toronto that they wanted. He's supposed to be the best coach in the world. They paid him a ton of money, and then he does stuff like making rookies rank other people. I, I personally don't like his style. Um, a lot of complaints coming out of Toronto were very similar to complaints about Maurice, um, such as they Toronto now has Nick Patan on their team. Nick Patan couldn't find a spot in the lineup um, because Babcock wanted an energy fourth line and didn't want skill on his fourth line. The same problem that Patan had here. If Patan went to somewhere else that liked speedy, skilled wingers instead, maybe he gets a shot. Maybe not. Who knows? But I think Babcock's style is similar to Maurice's in that regard, that kind of old school type coaching style. Um, but Babcock also has that old school type personality that I don't think Paul Maurice really has. And to me, that's the big difference where I would not want Babcock um, as far as systems go. Um, that's not my expertise to evaluate coaches, but as far as personality wise, I think Maurice does a pretty good job with the players on the team. So here's your question. Who's the best coach in the NHL? Right now, everybody not in the NHL, not in the NHL, who is the best coach out there? If you were to well, say... I don't, I, don't, I don't think there is one, to be honest. It, it's, it's one of those things where everybody just assumes that, oh, well, 
it's amazing how a coach can go from the hero winning the Jack Adams one year to the worst coach in the NHL the next, to being fired, to getting hired, becoming a savior, becoming the GOAT. You can it's amazing how fast it can turn. Because again, we talk about this all the time, especially when Maurice was in a little bit more of a hot water, where we talk about the fact that the coach can only do so much. On the at the end of the day, he's not actually on the ice. And so a coach can only do so much. He's not shooting the puck. He's not making the save. The coach can only guide and motivate as best he can. Even the best motivated team sometimes will still lose. And so the coach can only do so much. Even best schemes, best game plans, best everything. But if you're going to make the top list, I think I'd probably put Barry Trotz up there. You see what he's done with the Islanders lately. You see what he did with the Washington Capitals winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux is an amazing regular season coach. But again, it just takes one or two cup runs, and all of a sudden he's the best coach. Period. It's you've seen some really good, uh, some really good coaches take over and have success, and it's really hard to deem what's successful. Is it a crappy team all of a sudden making it into the playoffs when they're not expected? Is it getting a really good team over the hump into the Stanley Cup? But a lot of that is already the team was already there. The coach just kind of now came in and rode them to the cup. It's tough to evaluate. Is there anything else you want to add on this before we get to the Calgary coaching situation? No, I mean, I would agree. So much of coaching is, is pure luck, to be honest, because hockey is a game of bounces. Bounces go your way, you're a great coach. Bounces go against you, you're a terrible coach. And, yeah, you can look at the system and stuff like that, but everybody said Babcock, when he was hired by the Leafs, was probably the best coach in the world. That's yep. what he was being billed as when yep. he got hired, right? Not so much anymore. So did he all of a sudden become a much worse coach in five years? Probably not. People just don't know how to evaluate coaches. Yeah. I don't know how to evaluate coaches. It's extremely difficult to actually quantify coaching. And I think that's one of the one of the issues is because nobody really knows how to quantify it. So we just kind of make arbitrary lists. That's my thought on it. Well, exactly, because it's, again, all those factors like we said before. One other thing we did want to mention about the Calgary coaching situation. They've had a bit of an issue where Bill Peters is in their hot seat. Kind of explain this situation for us, Kyle. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Allegations coming up against him about um, racial slurs being used against former players uh, back when he was in the AHL um, against certain players. Um, And, yeah, it's essentially those are the allegations going on right now. They seem to be accurate. They seem to be 100% true at this point, multiple um, witnesses kind of coming forward. So definitely Bill Peters in a ton of hot water right now. I would not be surprised to see if he's uh, if he's gone from Calgary. I mean, you have something like this come up. That in itself is a reason to be fired. You also look at Calgary's record and the way they've been playing lately. Um, just in addition to everything, I mean, absolutely no surprise if he ends up being gone uh, shortly after this podcast comes out. Now, it's tough. And we've kind of talked about this before with different situations and what people have done in the past. The story's coming out from Frank Cervelli. Former NHL player Akeem Aliu said on Monday that current Calgary Flames coach Bill Peters repeatedly hurled racial epithets in his presence in a minor league hockey room a decade ago. So the problem here for me is that this was a decade ago. It's not something that's happening at the moment, or at least that's being reported. So, do you fire somebody now 
for something that they said 10 years ago with a completely different team. <sighs> to me, that's just tough. I don't agree with what he said, and I don't agree with him saying it. But can you fire somebody for something they said 10 years ago to not even a current player on his team, to not even the current Calgary Flames team? What What do you, like, do you take that into consideration that he said something bad? Yes, it wasn't necessarily one time. Maybe it was a few times, and it said it was maybe even a handful of times. But that was 10 years ago. A lot, lot can change about a person in 10 years. The world is a lot different in 2009, 2010 than it is now, that's for sure. Can you keep him responsible? If you want to fire him for the Calgary Flames underperforming now, absolutely, go ahead. I just don't know if you can look back at something that he said 10 years ago. Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I would I would argue you, you can because um, essentially, why not? Right? Like... like in my opinion, coaches should be type, the type of people to um, to inspire players, to motivate players, to help get the best out of their players. And clearly, he was not doing that. And yes, I agree, people can change, 100%. People can change in many different ways. But just just to hear something like that, to me, that's a guy that... Is not he? That's a guy that's just out of touch with with his players. No, but so here's an exact comparison. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wore blackface. What was it, ten, fifteen years ago at a Halloween party? Right. That's not cool. Now he can't go do that anymore. And you probably would argue that he probably shouldn't have back then either. Right. But he's still the prime minister. He still got elected. He's not getting fired from his current job. And again, this is really diving away from hockey here. But he's not getting fired for something that he did 10 years ago. The Conservatives are definitely trying to bring it up. And you could say he has a minority, so maybe that played a factor. But this is something that happened a long time ago. It's just... I I don't know. Why is it only coming up now? Well, I mean, usually these things come up a long time later because people are scared, right? That's that's 99% of the time why these things don't come up. Because what happens if he, what happens if you're a player, a young player from a team, a coach yells at you in a way that you think is insensitive, racist, that sort of thing? What happens if you speak up? Yeah. What happens? Yeah. Often... Chances are, chances are your your career might be over. There's a chance you you never play hockey again. Look at Colin Kaepernick, right? Yeah. Is that the same situation? Not necessarily, but he's not employed. Was he employed? Yes. You could argue maybe he's not the best quarterback. There's definitely an argument to be made for that, but but one of the things motivating players not to sign him is his his stuff off off the field, right? Yeah. That's what's going on with him. So if you're a young guy playing in playing hockey, you don't want to speak up because what if you're that next guy who doesn't get a contract? Well, right? if hockey's your life, if you're depending on that for your for your survival, like to to live, what happens if that's that's it? You're done. Well, if you look it, at if you read the rest of the story, Aliu admitted that he turned sour against Peters. Ultimately, he was demoted to the ECHL and obviously never made it back to the NHL. 
And or so he was traded that offseason in a deal that actually involved Dustin Bufflin. He later made it to the NHL, appearing in seven games with the Flames from 2011 to 2013. It's I just have a hard time firing him now based on something that happened so long ago that I just have a hard time just because of the time gap in between. If he said this last season, if he even said this as a a head coach, while he was the head coach of the Calgary Flames, then I'd say, yes, do it. I just have a harder time doing it now just with such a time gap in between. Is there anything else you want to add to this, Kyle? Yeah, I agree. It's a tough situation. I mean, it's the same as similar to to the Don Sherry situation. I mean, yes, that he said on live TV, but it it was things going on for years that eventually caught up to him. Um, So you could argue that it's almost similar to that stuff that happened from the past that is being shed light on now because of a fundamental shift in, in society and the way people view things. So there's no good there's no good answer to be honest. Um, my final thought is don't be surprised if he's let go to be honest because that that's very easily what could happen um, for Calgary based on maybe their record based on a little bit of this. I mean overall, does this change how his team, his current team, does that change how they view their coach? right? And, and to me that's a, that's a big issue because if it does, if that changes how they view him, you can easily, very easily just lose the room and lose all respect from the players. And to be honest, he might have already lost all the respect of his players. Yeah, that- and, and then you're done, right? Then there's no other option. So for me, that's the biggest key is, is does this make you lose respect in your organization among your players? And if yes, then there's no way forward. No, I am right there with you. If he loses the room now, if this is affecting his performance now, this stuff that comes up, people don't trust him, people don't respect him, it's not working, and they're not getting any results, so that doesn't help either, then I think definitely. It's just tough. I just can't imagine coming into work one day, somebody says that, hey, you said this mean thing to me multiple times that was offensive 10 years ago. You need to be fired now. I would be... And, and I'm not saying there's necessarily anything in my past like that, but it would be pretty tough for that to come out now. Let's say, the you remember that job you worked all those years ago? It was a different job. It was a different everything. And you remember how you insulted me this way that's so offensive now? Could you imagine? And then now you get fired for that? That's just that's just where I'm coming at it from this perspective. But again, uh, it's kind of just an intro, and I'm I'm not condoning anything he said, and I'm not. Ju- I just want to make sure that that is clear. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we move on? No, that's about it. All right. So the last segment we want to get to is the Jets Skills Competition. All right. So for the final segment, on a little bit of a lighter note, uh, Skills Competition last night for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, you got to see some of the highlights, Kyle. Some of the winners. Any surprises at all? Yeah, I mean, there's always a little bit uh, of surprises, but it's always a fun, fun event for the fans and getting autographs and that sort of thing. Uh, for me, the biggest question mark was who's going to win hardest shot. Uh, Dustin Bufflin, obviously not with the team. Uh, ben Sherratt, I believe, actually had uh, the winner a couple of years ago as well. Neither of those guys with the team. Uh, I believe Tyler Myers was also up there, 
also not with the team. So I was really curious to see what was going to go on in this one. But uh, Lucas Biza actually coming out on top with a 99 mile per hour. Uh, just a absolute clapper, uh, just a great shot. So I didn't know he had that kind of uh, um, that kind of speed on a shot. For me, that was the biggest surprise. Yeah, and then obviously no surprise, Nick Ehlers winning the fastest skater, but Matthew Perot winning the accuracy competition. We need to see that shot more often. Yeah, I, I wish that would showcase itself more often. Um, you always expect a, a sniper to get that, somebody like Line A or Kyle Connor or or some of those types of players, but a guy like Matthew Perot can shoot it like the best of them. So, uh, yeah, good for him. And that's one of those things that literally every player on the team has an NHL-caliber shot. They're there for a reason. They've made the NHL. Generally, most of them have had a good shot growing up, and it really is just four shots. You get lucky, you pick it off quick. It doesn't say that much about him, or what do you think? No, I, I totally agree. Just because he hits four targets doesn't mean he's a better shooter than Patrick Laine, even remotely close. So I'm exactly like you said. Every any every NHL player, heck, every high level hockey player, you take an AHL skills competition, they're probably pretty close to that same mark. Um, you take a junior skills competition, they're probably not far off that mark. So just uh, whoever's got it that night, and it happened to be pro yesterday. Now, you take a look at the Jets' schedule coming up in San Jose, in Anaheim, in L.A., and so those are the next three games, and against the Dallas Stars again, four games before the next podcast next Wednesday. You look at those games, Kyle, what do you think on the schedule coming up? Yeah, it's another tough road trip. Uh, I mean, maybe not as tough as it was a few years ago with those teams. Uh, not doing so well lately, but San Jose's really been picking it up, have a bunch of wins in their last 10 games. Uh, Anaheim and LA, I mean, you never know. It's always tough playing, uh, I think it's three games in four nights, so it's going to be really interesting to see what's what's going to happen. Yeah, there is a back-to-back in this situation. Uh, right now, uh, Anaheim had been okay, but they've kind of dropped off. They're out of the playoff picture right now. Kings near the bottom of the league. San Jose is actually fourth in the Pacific right now at the time of this podcast, trailing Vancouver. Arizona and Edmonton who leads the Pacific Division and so the Jets uh, do have an opportunity here it's going to be a tough one against Dallas who's just ahead of them in the standings but uh, for the Winnipeg Jets uh, these are going to be some important games especially uh, those ones coming up against Dallas well that does it for the podcast today if you have anything you want us to talk about hit us up on Twitter we are at Jets and Podcast find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca